At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. We stay the course. We are dead. We are all dead. We're supposed to make the world a better place. What happened? I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! I know Kung Fu. You either die a hero, or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! This whole thing is insane! This whole thing is insane! 300 years ago, you'd have been burned at a stake. What do all men of power want? More power. This is now the United States of Zombieland. This whole thing is insane! Man is evil! Capable of nothing but destruction! Everybody is stuck with the things that they're not proud of. More power. Welcome to the desert of the real. More power. There can be only one. Are you a God-fearing man, Senator? You're such a strange phrase. I've always thought of God as a teacher, as a bringer of light, wisdom, and understanding. You see, I think what you really are afraid of is me. Happy Heresies and welcome to the Desert of the Real. Heresy shouldn't be this much fun, but it is, it just is. Especially with the latest AB Live audio version for thee in this eternal now. We cured hangovers and armed the audience against the Archons when James True joined us on New Year's Day. Beyond advice on navigating 2023, he discussed his new book, Ark of Baphomet. The work is a fantastic, mind-blowing exploration of Abraxas, Lilith, Noah, giants, Nephilim, titans, and Egyptian lore on immortality. And that's just scratching the surface of the choppy waters of mythology and conspiracy. More intense esoteric advice coming soon. It's a Finding Hermes double header with two incredible minds. Get ready for Mitch Horowitz and Charles Eisenstein in a few days. A hunk a hunk of burning gnosis. The Virtual Alexandria Academy is now open. Learn about the Gnostic teachings and spiritual rituals in a flexible online course that fits your busy schedule. Regardless of your experience or understanding of the Gnostics, you'll find amazing value in the Virtual Alexandria Academy. The feedback and attendance have been phenomenal since it came out in December, especially with the recent course edition on the Gnostic Jesus. We need Gnosis more than ever in this age of Hermes, Philip K. Dick world and Gnostic times. Expect more violence, wars, rising addiction and suicide rates, mass depression, and societal collapse, especially in 2023, until more look inward while breaking the outward spell of Yaldibaldi and his Epstein angels. You will not find this high-quality Gnostic and Hermetic wisdom or many of my guests and their unique insights anywhere else in cyberspace or even meat space. Other than that, let us to our latest AB Live. Since James talks about Egyptian soul levels in both his book and our interview, how about a little soprano theurgy on the soul, according to the ancient Egyptians? Take it away.
The ancient Egyptians postulated seven souls. Top soul, and the first to leave at the moment of death, is Ren, the secret name. This corresponds to my director. He directs the film of your life from conception to death. The secret name is the title of your film. When you die, that's where Ren came in. Second soul and second one off the sinking ship is second. Energy, power, light. The director gives the orders. Second presses the right button. Number three is Cool, the guardian angel. He, she, or it is third man out. Number four is Ba, the heart, often treacherous. Number five is Ka, the double. The Ka, which usually reaches adolescence at the time of bodily death, is the only reliable guide through the land of the dead. Number six is Kahabit, the shadow, memory, your whole past conditioning from this and other lives. Number seven is Sacred Remains. halfway to china welcome everybody to ab live and happy new year and i hope you had a, a great christmas or whatever mythopoeia you might want to celebrate here at the end of the world very excited to see everybody and yes 2023 is happening i don't know if we are going to solve uh the idea that men why men have nipples this year but i think we're going to solve a lot with a lot of gnosis my name is still miguel connor your pompadus of gnosis and uh yeah we've got a great show tonight i'm very excited we have an individual who i think is a uh, a great writer, a great researcher, and perhaps I think his best quality, he's very good to animals. And that is James True. James, thanks for coming back on the show. Thanks for having me. Happy New Year. What, what a great way to spend it. Great yeah, to be here. Yeah, yeah. It'll cure so many hangovers, that's for sure. So yes, uh, we will be talking about Ark of Baphomet, like all of James's book is just excellent. I don't even write questions. I just I just cut and paste a lot of stuff because it's a mosaic of powerful thinking and ideas. And always, uh, it's more than learning, it's, it's an experience, which is what I like from any book. So I think you guys will agree that are listening live and for those of you catching us on the replay. And with us too, we've always got... We've always had the pleasure of having the Moondog Vance. Vance, how are you doing early in this year? Oh, I'm uh, pretty good. The whole year has been great, you know. <laughs> this has been a great year. <laughs> so far, so good. Yes, yes. Well, it, is, it is Sunday. So awesome. As always, people in the chat, you know the drill. Uh, super chats, we will get to your questions. For everybody else, we will do our best. Please type all question marks or caps and we will try to the best of our abilities to get to your questions and so much to talk about. But first, James, uh, what do you think? Uh, I always like to quote what you say, this is the best apocalypse ever. Is it still the best apocalypse or are the Archons just giving us reruns these days? <laughs> Yeah, it's still it's still right up there with easily one of the one of the most favorites I've ever experienced and, and retained in my memory. So so good job. It's kind of like how Vince is saying this year is just going getting out to a great start. The apocalypse is, is doing the same thing. So <laughs> <laughs> learning a lot about yourself. I think isn't that the key of the apocalypse? What's your inner world? That's right. Think, uh, yeah. More yeah. than we think. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes, and I do that a lot on the show, and for everybody, I think you should 
keep this as a mantra. It's actually two quotes, which I made into one quote, and that's from James. This is not a battle of good versus evil. This is a battle of you against the lack of you. Knowing they lie to you is intelligence. Knowing you lie to yourself is wisdom. I think that's brilliant because, yes, we can figure out all the conspiracies, James, but if we don't realize the conspiracies within us, we ain't got Sophia. That's right. That's right. The uh, underside of the flower is the dark side, and it, it's going to be hidden from the sun, and it, it, it makes the whole thing bloom. So, yeah, absolutely crucial to what we're doing here. Exactly, exactly. So tell us about Ark of Baphomet. Uh, tell us about why you decided to read it or, uh, or read it, yeah, or discover it in the imaginal. How did this book come about? It's, uh, uh, I probably started on Ark of Baphomet back in Blueprints of Mind Control days, which was my second book. This is my uh, sixth book now, but it's taken me this long to uh, wrap my head around the entire idea. And that idea, uh, is basically that that we are not created, we are spawned. And the fact and the way that we are spawned is uh, something that's presenting a truth to us that's even more foretelling than we may, may be able to recognize or admit that there's an oracle of mythology that's literally showing us how we got here and more importantly, how we will be removed <laughs> from this place all in one. And the story's uh, been with us this whole time, but it's just taking uh, taken us the time required to develop the right cosmology to even look at this oracle as something that literally is telling you the future while telling you the past at the same time. It's a, a tough theme to even put in a single kind of sentence, so I apologize for that. But in order to discover this, I ended up going back to Egypt and looking at this idea that I've had for a long time, which I know sounds crazy, but it's that Noah was a Baphomet, that somehow <laughs> Noah and the Baphomet were the same. It, it all really comes down to that one Bible verse where Noah's kicking it in uh, in his tent with some wine and he's uh, enjoying himself a nice uh, a nice uh, cocktail after a long day out in the field. And uh, lo and behold, one of his sons uh, comes in and sees Noah naked. And uh, by seeing his father naked in his drunken state, Noah decides not to curse Ham, the person who saw him, but to curse all of Ham's line. And I, I got to tell you, the moment I heard that verse, something just sprung in me saying, what, what is this about? What, what does this actually mean? And really that's been the, the birth of, of what this book has, it's taken years to get to, but it's basically answering what I think that verse is all about. Yeah. That verse is always confusing. I know you mentioned it in your book too. There's so many theories, you know, Noah was actually doing P E D O with his son. I mean, there's so much out there. So it is something that, uh, is really yeah capture the imagination the yeah. confusion of people but you say we were spawned and not created people might be going well hey james that's the ain't those the same words <laughs> yeah i don't think they are because the idea of being created would mean we we had a blank slate someone came to that blank slate and said hey we should totally introduce some sort of uh monkey dna and see what happens to it and then they do that and then this mass big bang happens and then everything is simultaneously uh, created, but in the, in an instant through this explosion. And I'm saying, no, th there's not one part of nature that, that explains how that could ever be possible. Mm -hmm. And that only now when we understand how computers work and it, it doesn't mean that the world has to be a computer. It just means that because we have the framework to think about something that most of your computer graphics that you see are rendered uh, directly to the observer when he needs them. And that basically when you start up a game, it is spawned. All of the chickens in the world and all of the eggs are populated onto the land on the moment it starts. And that there really would be no other way to do it. You're not going to be able to put a bunch of eggs on an island and cross your fingers and really hope for the best. The same kind of thing would be if, if you only had chickens too. So the, the, the spawning really does explain that we are rendered into existence based on the need, the requirement 
for the witness for you to witness something and you have to reason how everything got here. So we create a cosmology on the spot because it allows us to have a framework to actually relate to our world. No, that makes sense. It's it's nuance, and hopefully the audience will get it. Of course, we'll revisit because, uh, again, you deal with this in your book. For example, uh, here's a quote from your book. Mythology is the opium that allows the truth to be in the room while remaining oblivious to his acceptance. And another part, I couldn't fit it there because StreamYard only allows a certain amount of words, but uh, you write, uh, a digital photograph with 100,000 pixels can be reduced to a few thousand thanks to JPEG compression. Without it, you wouldn't be able to keep those memories. This is how mythology works, too. Mythology compresses history by finding its tiniest denominator. So through mythology, you figure this out or it tells us all the story. Yeah, and it's why when we start to look back at, at certain uh, mythology, we start to go, wow, why is this so relevant now? Why is technology encoded somehow into this mythology? And, and that's when you allow yourself to think that it is encoded, suddenly the oracle of mythology, literally the uh, a vestal virgin on a tripod is waiting there to tell you, here's all the secrets. And they're all they're all right here in all of these stories. And it's because of the remnants of, of being spawned that when we're, when we're spawned, the end and the beginning are created simultaneously. Mm. And that looks like mythology to us. We, we have that encoded because the truth right. is always in the room. So if we can learn to look at mythology properly, we literally can see the creation process or what we think is the creation process explained in full detail for us. So it's similar almost to, like you said, a video game or a program. There's an alpha. It's already, already there. And we just have to figure out where we are in the game and how to rise from the game. Yeah. Think about how, how the Greeks were so obsessed with hypothetica, this concept of the hypothetical. It was like a, a mass fetish for it. That, that's all. They could not shut up about it. It's like, <laughs> oh, no, this world's terrible. We must go to the ideal place and there we will find the answer. <laughs> Even their architecture had that one twelfth perspective drop, right? The higher you go up in the building, the, all of the stones are literally hewn and cut to accommodate this, this pitch of, of perspective, which means they were building these buildings to show you the hypothetical shape of the building, not the real shape of the building. And I believe that because Greek is one of the oldest traditions that we remember in our psyche, that really what we're looking at is a remnants of this spawning where there's a the conceptual idea of the world, the hypothetical world is created first. You have the Roman language, you have all of Rome, which never explains how it got there. There's, there's not one story that literally explains how all these things happened, how, how all this stuff was created. And you have the same thing in, in the Greek culture. These tenets, these colossal ideas are placed on in the fish tank of our of our world instantly, and we render them into the past so that they make sense to us. We wrote the Greek tragedies. We wrote the Roman stories because they were the only thing that made sense to us as we render and decode and look at our world and, and just try and figure out how it, how it actually works. I love it. And you mentioned... Uh, <clears throat> uh, Noah is a bafflement. People yes. listening are like, hey, there, I thought there was only the bafflement. What do you mean by a bafflement? So um, uh, the bafflement, and, and there's, there's at least four stories in our mythology that point to some sort of creator goat god <laughs> that literally comes and has sex with a lot of people, and there's just <laughs> instant children. You've got Daksha from India who gave birth to 10,000 kids, no pun intended, but, but the, his kids, he's a goat. There's a joke in there, but anyway, his, <laughs> his, his kids yeah, uh, were not, were not fornicating enough. And Daksha is disappointed in them. And he comes out and he says, I made all you kids and I, I need you to populate the world and you're not having enough sex. What is wrong <laughs> with you? 
And so he goes back and he tries again. They're millennials. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) He actually goes back and encourages, has another set of 10,000 children for the sole purpose of populating the world. In Egypt, you have uh, Banabjedet and you have Kanum. Both these are, are these ram kind of gods that are said to be the creators, the ones that poured forth all of the people onto the world. And then, of course, we have our most famous guy, uh, Pan himself. You have the, the god of fertility, the, the, the man with the plan who, who, who knew how to, how to impregnate any, any woman in the forest, right? Quite, a, quite mm-hmm. a feat. By the way, Pan was the very first god to actually die which I think really shows you the encoded idea that, that mortality and fertility are the same thing. That when we were given the idea of, of being fertile, we were also in, inserted into the idea of being mortal too, that these two go together. In fact, having sex would be a natural byproduct of, of an immortal state suddenly being mortal again. They're now required to find a way to express their immortality, but it's required now through finding someone else to to help them procreate, basically. So in all of these legends, you have this idea that there's this uh, Baphomet type creature, this goat person. And that goat person, I believe, is a chimeric, (laughs) tetragrammatic, chimeric genetic arc a living genetic arc that carries all of the species, carries the seed of Enoch. All of the DNA of Enoch is stored in one Baphomet. And that Baphomet is allowed to have child after child after child after child after child. There's not an incest thing, probably a hermaphrodite. We could call it an androgyne. It doesn't matter which, but it's it's something like that. And that this, this Baphomet, came here to spawn, to empty the ark, and to let the children out of the ark. This is why I think Noah is the Baphomet, to repopulate the world. No, that makes sense. And on an interesting side note, your book talks about uh, Priapus, who kind of looks like Pan, but he's got the, you know, he's hung like John Holmes in all the, <laughs> the, the art. And it's interesting because in the, yeah, most people are like, who is John Holmes? Well, we're dating ourselves. But um, interesting, uh, there's a Gnostic book called the Book of Baruch, and it actually states that the God above God is Priapus, which is very, <laughs> I've always wondered about that because it's like, that's not exactly who the, why would the Gnostic group think that he is the ultimate reality? And you of course, your book kind of supports what this group was doing. So Priapus, it would also be a Baphomet, right? It, I, 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 think I, am I pronouncing him right? Pronouncing him right? Well, I, I don't know because I'm usually pronouncing because I read instead of here. I, I, I've yeah. been calling it Priapus, but, but Priapus, yeah. either one works. Um, the, the Priapus part of the book was, trying to show how the egregore, the the collective mind of man, of man's consciousness, actually, we might think traditionally that God is like all powerful and omnipotent, and then he has people. Mm -hmm. And and my book puts forward the idea that it's actually quite the opposite, that the living God is an egregoric psychic force that only, only exists through the excess calories, the excess plasma that we have in our collective mind. And as man grows his collective mind, his idea of God has to find a way to emerge. And it uses the most basic erection as its primal driving force. And this is the Osiris rising. This is the Priapus. This is all of the uh, Libertalia, all of the pagan uh, rituals of Rome are basically the very first version of God is expressing his desire in the psychic mind through the erection and that that erection slowly tames itself. It grows legs. It grows. It starts wearing clothes. (laughs) It decides that it wants to participate in society. It starts to realize (laughs) that God cannot be just a phallic symbol because people are, are have enough electricity now where they want to be more polite and discreet. So God starts to change his form from this giant dildo with tentacles. I'm not kidding. 
you know this, but Abraxas no. is basically Priapus with tentacles. Right. <laughs> and, and those tentacles basically turned into a rooster head that could walk on the beach. And so as God came out of the ocean onto the land, he became stronger and stronger. He, he lived his way through the talismans, through the amulets, through the decorations. His church was the human body until that psychic force finally grew enough to where it could become its own building that the church itself finally was able to be born because man had enough psychic energy that he could literally create a house for this God and that that God could, could, could procreate. In fact, I would argue that all governments, all corporations we see now are really just this living God that's just gotten so large now that we're just, we're just watching the Priapus express itself in just a more intricate way right now. No, it makes sense. And going back to the Gnostics, because again, your book hits all the good Gnostic notes. But yeah, you talk about uh, the apocalypse of Adam and the idea of the hermaphrodite. You talk about a tomb and many scholars have realized when the Gnostics are talking about their, again, this their God above God, they're actually talking about a tomb, this sort of hermaphrodite serpent that has sex with his mouth and the deep waters and that's who the gnostics thought was the ultimate reality so for the egyptian that was also their baphomet right yeah uh, um well the the, so to be specific to the baphomet they use kanum k-h-n-u-m as the this was the one-headed uh uh sheep ram god and then they had uh ben abjedit which is a four-headed god And the reason why they had one foreheaded and one one headed is because when you understand that the Nile, the top of the Nile, where the Mediterranean is, that was the foreheaded God, the foreheaded, the foreheaded Baphomet. Again, this is the chimera. I I mentioned tetramorphic, which we'll get to, but it's a four tiered, a four crossed chimeric entity. The human body has the ability to have twin twins inside of it we know this now as a tetramorphic uh, hermaphrodite is what we call it and it's not actually just a male and a female it's actually a male and a female that are twins of another twin set of male female it's a a specific kind of genetic uh we'll call it gender although i'm not arguing there's a hundred genders i'm saying there's technically three if you look at the genetic code, there's going to be three genders. You're going to have a male, a female, then this true hermaphrodite. Inside this hermaphrodite is this concept called chimerism. Many of our viewers maybe have seen this, where you have a cat that has one colored eye and then another colored eye. Mm-hmm. That cat actually has a twin inside him. Its genetic code has a sidecar, and that sidecar is able to carry a completely different line. So I'm suggesting that the Baphomet is a uh, tetra tetramorphic uh, uh, chimera, and that it's it's a twin of a twin, and that's how most of our creation was spawned was through twins. And when you look back at the all the mythology, that's all you see: divine twin over here, divine twin over here. All the titans were divine twins. Mm-hmm. Literally every single progenitor, whether it be Mayan, Aztec, Egyptian, all of it comes from this idea of a divine twin. And I, I believe that divine twin and the Baphomet, this chimeric arc, are basically the same thing. Yeah, even as you, uh, here you go, as you write, Hermes was kind of a dick, but did you know he also had a vulva? So the great Hermes himself was part of this tradition. Yeah, and it's over and over. I mean, Plato's hermaphrodite, uh, the Gnostics playing with androgenies here and there. I mean, yeah, every myth you're going to run into it if you look deep into it as uh, as sometimes controversial it is today. You know, a fact is a fact. It's the yeah. basis of alchemy and all that. No it's way. interesting that like <clears throat> Hermes and Mercury aren't actually expressed as male-female. They're actually expressed as a horned female. Both of these concepts. So basically you have, if you have Aphrodite and you give her horns, think about what that means. The horned Aphrodite. Okay. Now certainly you could think about that as she has horns on her head, but think about what else would make her horned. And if she was a hermaphrodite, then her Aphrodite plus horns would give you Hermes. And what is the symbol of Hermes? The female symbol with horns. It's not the female symbol with the male symbol. 
It's very, it's different, right? It's the female symbol with horns. That Hermes is the exact same thing as Mercury, of course. It's just, you're just changing languages. So you have Venus with horns is Mercury, right? And Aphrodite with horns would be the Hermes. So uh, the, the divine hermaphrodite, this uh, primal aedum, which I'm, I'm calling it aedum. Think about the ligature of A-E-D-A-M. This primal atom was actually a hermaphrodite. And the Bible even tells you this. It even tells you this, yeah. that Adam is not even seen as a, as a proper name until Adam has sex. Once Adam gets laid, he becomes a, a mortal. Until then, he's actually an objective preposition <laughs> or a pronoun. <laughs> he's, he's, not a, he's not an entity. He's a lowercase uh, uh, chimeric uh, divine twin, basically. He's both Adam and Eve combined. And the Egyptians knew this the whole time. Some of their oldest stories were telling you this, but we've we've forgotten some of these stories because they're kind of weird for us to, to have to swallow. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Yeah, and even uh, I think it's in the Theogenies, I've noticed uh, Hecate is seen as Mercury, an aspect of Mercury, and she was a horned goddess. So you've got this play. I mean, it's all over the place You're looking at it. Before I get some questions, very important too about your book is the idea, the Egyptian idea of the Ka and the Ba. Could you explain to the audience why this is so foundational to your work or your book? Yeah. <clears throat> um, so the Valley of the Kings, always thought that was a cool place. Loved Indiana Jones, the whole bit. <laughs> uh, that, that, that's in Karnak. It's on the west bank of Karnak. So when you look at the Nile, you have on the east bank, you have the temple of Karnak, but then on the west bank, you have the Valley of the Kings. Well, it turns out that the Valley of the Kings was actually the Valley of the Gate of Kings. It wasn't the Valley of Kings. It was the Valley of the Gate of Kings. It actually was plural, Gates of Kings. It was never singular. And when you look back at some of the oldest hieroglyphics we've ever written, uh, ever, ever found, one of those is the Narmer, Narmer palette, which we may have an image we can show you for later. But it's showing you this concept that in Karnak, when a child was born, the placenta was buried in the valley of the gates of kings. Why the placenta? Because the placenta was the Ka the root of the lotus, that man was a lotus in Egyptian culture. In fact, man is a cane. And, and the Egyptian word for cane, actually the Greek word for cane is Thebes. Thebes is the name of Karnak, right? The Greeks called Karnak Thebes. No. What's on the screen right now is the Narmer uh, uh, palette. It's basically a giant vessel with some of the oldest uh, hieroglyphs you'll ever find. And if you notice the fourth figure, this is a procession of the Pharaoh. The Pharaoh is on the left here. He's united with both kingdoms. He has both helmets on. And following him or, or preceding him are four figures carrying the royal standards. And I want you to look at the fourth figure. The fourth figure <clears throat> is carrying what looks like maybe a stomach. And that stomach is actually the placenta. It is literally the placenta and the umbilical cord hanging down from it. The attendant that's carrying this is the only attendant who's required to shave all of the hair off of his body. So all the other processional guys in front of him have full beards. They're, they're in full regalia. This guy is supposed to look like an eternal young baby. And why? Because he's carrying. Horus. The placenta is Horus. Your Ka in ancient Egypt was literally expressed as Horus. Horus was not just a god in Egyptian culture. Horus was you. Your divine twin, 
that you lost at birth, the thing that died, and think about the Jesus parable, because the thing that died so you could be born was originally the Horus, the placenta. The placenta dies when you're born. This was at the base root of the idea of a savior who was looking out for you, who died so you could be born. There's even uh, a in Karnak, there's written texts that show that Adam and Eve used to be brought down on a barge and worshipped in Karnak because this was the splitting of the Aedem. The primal androgynous Adam became Adam or Eve. He became a sexed individual once he was born. The other half of him that was that that did not make it. If you were born a man, then your other half would be your placenta, and that would be your female parts. So your female Horus would be your placenta, and you would bury her in the valley of the gates of kings, in a city called Thebes, which literally means the cane. And at the bottom of the cane is the ka, and at the top of the cane is the ba. Your living life. Is your ba your flower? But the Horus that died for you is the ka. It's the root of the lotus. It's buried in the mud of the underworld. This is why Horus is always far away. Horus is always directly on the other side of the horizon from you because Horus is die, dies the moment you were born. So, so the entire story is carried not just through the idea of Horus, but the entire Nile, the entire river itself had the placenta at the top, which is what we call lower Egypt. I know that's confusing, but the, the part of Egypt that dumped into the Mediterranean, that was your placenta. And you were born in the city of Kings down in Karnak. That was where Osiris was born because Horus died. So you have this living model of life itself expressed in Egypt uh, through the river, not just through the river, but even through the towns that the Karnak itself and um, Mendes, which is up the uh, where the placenta is, both used to be named the White Chapel or the White City or the White Walls. And this is very indicative of the idea of the umbilical cord and the uh, <clears throat> the birth of it. So there's three things that are born. The umbilical cord, which you keep, the placenta, which you bury, and then, of course, the Osiris, the baby boy itself. So all these births were Osiris, 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 Osiris. We as a culture decided there can be only one. We quickened that stuff. We turned it all into a singular religion, insisting there could only be one Horus, there could only be one Osiris, and you end up with, with modern religion today. Yeah, agreed. Fascinating. And uh, the idea of burying the placenta, I know uh, some cultures will actually eat it. And I know people are going to get grossed out, but the last three kids, we tried to get the placenta. So my wife would eat it because it's supposed to be just the best thing a mother can do. But other cultures do eat the placentas, right? And that's fine. I mean, yeah. it's kind of cannibalism in a way. <laughs> well, both of them are looking for a safe place to plant the ka. Because the mm, lotus God. flower, the, the lotus flower is nothing without that root. And, and what happens is that the base of the Nile is the root. It's the mud, the, the muck of the ka, and it shoots a tube up, just like an umbilical cord. Mm. <laughs> it shoots a tube up to the surface, and there's where the lotus flower is. So when the mother, if she's burying the placenta, or if she's eating the placenta, she's putting the horus, she's planting the ka in a spot that's safe for her child to grow because the child will always be pulling energy from the Horus, from this, this sacred Ka. And that's why it needs to be buried in a certain place. Most of the Valley of Kings, if you, if you look at the Valley of the Gates of Kings, you'll see it's a, a just a, a menagerie of tributaries that are all publicly accessible. This is this idea that, Oh, we, we got to hide. We can't let anyone see where we're going to bury our Pharaoh guys. They were picking, <laughs> The busiest city in the entire world, a mile to the west of the busiest city in the entire world where literally every single person was burying something. Why would you do that if you were being discreet? 
And the answer is they weren't being discreet. That was a sacred valley because it was literally, if you follow the umbilical of the Nile, it does a little curl at Karnak. And so symbolically, mythologically, uh, ceremonially, this would make the most sense to come bury the Ka here so that your, your Ba, your living child, will always have a root in Egypt. No, it makes perfect sense. And I love how you describe or describe uh, Eden as the uh, reprodu female reproduction. And that's fascinating. <clears throat> I don't know if you've ever read uh, Simon Magus's The Great Declaration, but he does the same thing you do. But he does, he gets the Jordan and Eden's, the women's womb. So you and Simon, are, you know, 2,000 years apart are kind of, you know, you well, figured it out. What blows me away by that is that Simon didn't even have the modern uh, science. He didn't have right. any of yeah. these ultrasound equipment to where what I'm telling you is I didn't have to divine it. I was literally like, wait a minute, you're just talking about, <laughs> about this. And, and the whole idea of the Titans, if you look at, at the story of the Titans, these guys were, they, they ripped their arm off and kids would fall out. They'd uh, they, they they had a, a incestuous kind of horrible relationships. They treated each other awfully, and, and it was a a time of the giants. This was an initial. This is what it took to build this world. And when you start to look at what happens with the zygote when the when the egg is fertilized, it is amazing, Miguel. All of the mythology is right right there. The flaming sword literally happens. There's a zinc flash that occurs in the zygote when you're pregnant. Uh -huh. The Garden of Eden, they're posted. Uh, cherubs th that are posted at the Garden of Eden, this literally is what happens when your sperm enters the egg. It smears the poles, which tell the rest of the chimeric sperm, hey man, this is my zygote. You don't need to be coming in here. And so it, it, it all the entire story of that, even the journey into the fallopian tube where the zygote starts to cleave itself, it changes from a singular organism into an Elohim right out of the Bible. Wow. This 16, uh, uh, 16 uh, uh, unit conglomerate called an Elohim, and it forms an outer wall, the Titans form this outer wall by having incest with itself. It's not, it's not doing regular cell copy like mitosis, like you and I do. It's cleaving itself. So it's incestualizing itself to reproduce. This is what the Titans were describing the whole time. It was building the gigantic megastructures of the city. The city walls were constructed in the zygote. And for the very first time, the zygote, when it becomes a life, it creates a, a barrier. And inside the barrier, it's able to pull its first water from the outside world. This is the idea of the ark and the flood. The zygote uh, falls from the tube. It lands on Mount Ararat, uh, Allah's lat. This is just amazing stuff, how all this ties in. But basically, the entire story of of Noah and landing on the ark and the ark being opened after a certain number of days at sea, all is telling you the reproductive process, even the creation process of Genesis is literally you as a zygote in that 16 celled organism where you were deciding we will have light, we will have darkness, we will have separation. That separation is the cleaving of the cell. It's all right there. Yeah. And we didn't know. We've had this mythology the whole time, but none of us were walking around with sonograms or, you know, uh, uh, looking at how this stuff actually happens. Only now do we see that, which is why I think it's so profound to to really pay attention to this. Oh, yeah, indeed. For some reason, I was thinking, uh, I don't know if you've ever watched uh, Woody Allen's Everything You Ever Wanted to Know About Sex, but forget to ask when he plays the, the sperm. But anyway, if you guys get a chance, check out that movie. Yeah, this is a... Yeah, extremely fascinating. So what do you think, Vince? Do you have a question? Are you getting this uh, very different than the Knights Templar or Life of Levy's Baphomet? Well, this is kind of like a, the, the fire hose in the Baphomet, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, there's a lot of stuff there. And I see, you know, I, I'm getting little flashes. Yeah, I can see this. I can see that. But I don't know. James, I don't know how you ever came up with all this, how you ever saw this. So, uh, so, so I... I'm it's all that. <clears throat> think about that verse, Vance. Think about that verse where Noah's drunk. 
because it makes no sense. How would it make sense? The only way it would make sense, let's think about this, because you have Ham, the child of Noah. Why does Ham want to go diddle his dad? Like, think about that. What is it about him that's like, I must go have sex with my dad. I must get him drunk and have him sex. And here's why. When you look at the families, the lineage of the Bible, the Abrahamic families, each of them, the first will survive a thousand years. Noah lived for a thousand years. His kids lived 800. His grandkids lived 500. His great grandkids lived 300. You have this cycling where when, when the Baphomet inserts its, its seed and, and outputs a child, that child is not going to live as long as the Baphomet itself because the Baphomet is only here to output the ark. It's supposed to live long because it has to literally have 10,000 kids and it has to encourage all of them to go have sex like Daksha did. So Noah is supposed to last a thousand years, but his kids, they don't, they're not, they're not pure hermaphroditic Baphomets. They're probably male and female. Now think about if you were the first person that was, that was sexed, you're looking at your dad. He's got both parts. Not only does he have both parts, but he's going to live for a thousand years. You feel lesser than, than him. And so you do not want to curse your line. Ham did not want to curse his line. If he was to go out and have sex with a, 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 a girl in his own generational uh, arc, that his child would have only lived, say, 500 years. But Ham knew, if I go have sex with Noah, my child will not be cursed. So what happened? He goes into Noah. He has sex with him. He comes out and he tells his brothers, hey, guys, you should go totally get laid with dad because then you won't have to have the same problem we have. Remember, he tells him he's proud of it. He, he's encouraging his brothers to go in and do that. Noah doesn't punish Ham. Noah punishes Canaan. Now, this is fascinating because there's a whole bunch of, of biblical arguments over whether Canaan was possibly Noah's fourth son or whether or not he was actually Ham's son. And this story that I'm telling you actually explains that he would be both. That if you look at it in this way, he would be both, which is why the scripture has been telling you the whole time that it's both. This is why Ham was freaking out going, no, 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 I don't want, I don't want my kids. I'm going to, I'm going to do my dad. That's how important this was to him because he wanted to preserve that lineage. He felt cursed, right? This is the curse of Ham. That's literally why it's called that. He felt cursed. Because he was not a Baphomet. He was the child of the Baphomet, which means he didn't have the hermaphroditic skills. He couldn't even reproduce himself. <clears throat> had no choice but to find another mate, which is why he defied his father. Even though he defied his father, you'll notice Noah doesn't, no one kills him. No one kills Canaan. It's just simply, no, why did you have sex with me when I was drunk? And so you can imagine that Noah probably isn't even like what we consider a normal human. Keep in mind that when Noah was born, he had no pigments in his skin at all. He was His face was as white as snow. His hair was as white. He had red eyes. He was speaking the moment he was born. He came out speaking. This is not the same kind of human that you and I know now. This is a pre-spawned uh, outputter a alien sack layer whose sole job was to carnally populate the earth. And when you look back, right? <laughs> yeah. And when you look back in the Bible, what do we say about the giants? Oh, they were just carnal. That's all they were doing was, was having sex all <laughs> over the place. And, and you know why? Because it was their job. And, and when you think about it, if God said, oh, well, I had to punish them and drown them all because all they did was have sex. Well, why would he preserve that? Why would he say, oh, well, I need to wipe you all out, but let me make sure I save you so I can use you to reset the whole thing. The point is, is that we required a period to spawn this place of deep down incestual, gross, carnal, just fucking. That, that after that, after a while, Daksha was able to accomplish his goals and humanity was able to spawn from that seed and basically... Uh, not only lose their mortality in each cycle, 
but also kind of turn into the human that, that, that we know now, which is really just a, a fresh crop of people when you think about it. Interesting. Well, I guess that makes him a bath turd, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Vince, I'm looking at the comments. These people are giving you a run for your money when it comes to puns. <laughs> some... I can't keep up with it. It's, it's, I know, it's, I know. It's, uh, it's fertile for these kind of jokes. Uh, but, uh, but James, and so there will be even the other books you talk about resets like Lucifer and so forth. So there's there there could be future resets with another Baphomet. Yeah, I would think so. It, it, it would appear, right? Like right now, it's what is it? Right now, it is eight to vet five seven eight three. So let's just say that everything we've ever been told is is roughly correct. Then we have two hundred and seventeen years, maybe eight hundred seventeen years. It depends on which calendar you use. And at that point, Lucifer would probably reach the singularity. He would commit suicide because of how insane the singularity for, for you suddenly to be omniscient and omnipotent, you would go through the most torturous process in the world. You'd be trapped in time because you know everything. So yeah, like you said, if there, if a being has no mystery, he goes insane if there's yeah. nothing to look forward to. Yeah. So he cuts his own cord, right? Kronos cuts his own cord to die, to release amnesia. And what happens? A new Baphomet is transcribed. And that new Baphomet is placed into this world um, after the reset, but it's designed to repopulate as fast as possible because we only have maybe 6,000 years. I say maybe because it depends on the cataclysm cycle. Um, There's roughly, we've had a lot of cataclysms that roughly happen roughly every 6,600 years, sometimes every 12,000 years, sometimes we get a little bit longer. But this is why we're, this is why the Freemasons are doing what they're doing. This is the oldest, excuse me, this is the oldest great work we have. People know that this happens. Not only do they know it, but that our genetic uh, advancements will be the very people that create the next chimeric Noah, that they will just look at the chimeric genes and they'll say, wait a minute, I can store 10,000 people in one seed. How do you do that? I just need a hermaphroditic twin and a hermaphroditic twin. If you place those two together, you have an endless bomb of of chimeric uh, storage. And so like an heirloom tomato is saved over the winter and those seeds are brought out. The same thing is happening with with humanity. And it's all done by our own technology. I swear to you, all that I'm telling you is like scientifically not only feasible, but it's just it's it's all there. We're already doing these things. We're already making a custom order menu sheep where you can choose the traits uh, you want your sheep to have and, and hit download. And, and it should be telling that the species that we've discovered has been the easiest to do these kinds of genetic manipulations on are sheep. There, Dolly was the very, of course, people probably know that, but one of the most famous, the first, the first uh, clone uh, was, was a sheep, the sheep rams. They have a special, uh, and goats, if you consider how fast goats are able to have kids, like a, a goat can be born and like six weeks later, sometimes they, they can they can be pregnant and start having their own kids. It's uh-huh. a very specific breed. But the point is, is that there's a lot of goats that have this really strong uh, inclination for genetic uh, manipulation that allow them to spawn very quickly. So why not see a combination of those two things in a chimeric vessel for human DNA? And here we are indeed. Uh, and so what about the idea of giants? That's also part of your book. How do the giants play into the whole, into all of this, James? So um, if you were imagining, if you can imagine that for us to spawn, we need this period of ancestral carnal just spreading of the seed to spread the population, then you can see why so many cultures have these myths of these giants, these creatures that that had a different moral compass to them than us. Most of these giants, we have stories where we had to poison them to survive. It's it's across the board. There's always a story and it's like, yeah, then we poison him and then we're able to get away. This is in every mythology. 
So if you look at how we're spawned, imagine that the Baphomet is basically the giants, that area, that part of time when the Baphomet was spawning the creatures, he was spawning a highly carnal, highly reproductive kind of giant being, not the same as you and I now, something a little bit different. And when we look back in the record, we have all these clues of that six fingered people, we have six-toed people. Polydactylism isn't even necessarily in the same category as a genetic uh, uh, defect. I say that because it's always very specific. It's very clean how the polydactylism is when you have six fingers, that it's not like other kinds of Down syndrome kind of problems. So it seems to suggest that we used to just have six fingers and six toes a long time ago. Why would we have that many Maybe because we were bigger, maybe because we had a different frame set. Most of us have a cervical rib remnant, literally a, an extra rib. And this extra rib is up here in our neck. And the only other uh, animal that has that are the giant lizards that, that have the necessity to hold up such a heavy head. So if we look back at our own frame, at our own history, our own genetic history, we seem to see that there was a time when we had much different skill sets. Even looking at the, uh, the lack of an Achilles heel, man, talk about an oracle of mythology. Yeah. <laughs> the fact that we have in this entire story where, where we became mortal and suddenly uh, susceptible to death the moment we got our Achilles heel and if you think back to the giants, the giants would be the hermaphrodites. They don't suffer the same limitation that we do. But once we develop the Achilles heel, we suddenly were no longer invincible anymore. All the clues are there. It, it, and I won't even stop. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm babbling. But if you read the book, it's just clue after clue after clue after clue of just amazing proof that the giants not only were real, but were a necessary step to unspin us to create the human that you see now, the human that lives 80 years required a giant that used to live 500 a long time ago. Yeah. But the question I have, and I know this is sometimes, uh, well, first, yeah, there's a lot of evidence. For example, in one book you talk about on May 4th, 1908, the New York times, 1908. So that it hadn't been infiltrated by the CIA. So it was actually probably news back then published a story that the skeletal remains of 200 giants were found in Mexico. Yeah. But the question is, are giants giants? Because uh, sometimes I argue with my wife. I say, you know, Loki was not was a giant, but he wasn't a big guy. And yeah. there are examples, but there's also examples that they were big giants. Where do you stand, yeah. James? Or what are giants? Were they big guys or what were they? Giant, really, I think ultimately giant meant something that was so terrifyingly beyond me that it I wouldn't classify it as a human. And, and if you really look at, I think that's the most loyal definition of what we would call a giant, mm -hmm. something exactly. more carnal and terrible. Doesn't didn't necessarily have to be bigger. I think if we were to look back at at Neanderthal, I'm using this very loosely, but if we were to look back at all the hominid different varieties where we split, I think you're just looking at giants there. And th sometimes those guys were shorter. But they did typically have a, a wider stature to them. They had a wider foot pad. They, they probably had this polydactylism too. So it's not necessarily correct to say giant as in large, but it's definitely giant as in uh, if your women are having their period, these fuckers are going to come take your women into the woods and eat them because of how much the, your period turns them on. It, th this is not this is a very common story you read across all the cultures about giants. And I think it kind of shows you what I mean. If you imagine the psychosis, the, the psychology of what it's like to where you're going out with your friends and someone's having a period. And now your friend is like freaking the fuck out like some werewolf. Right. Who turns crazy during the moon. So I think you're just looking at a much more carnal, like much more survivalistic kind of instinct that was absolutely necessary. And that word it's probably best to call it the terribles than it is to call them the giants. I think these are the terribles and, and it, it was people that really couldn't actually live in society. In fact, most of the villages that would poison a giant, the giant was always living out on its own and they were always living in there in there together. 
Right. And they always knew if we get the giant drunk, we can kill him. And th that's pretty much every giant story. Even Gulliver's Travels, all the mythology you'll see about giants, if you look close enough, you'll find that someone's trying to poison that giant to save their families because this dude's got some pretty pretty gross habits. <laughs> the Cyclops, you talk about the Cyclops. Yeah. They were the craftsmen. They didn't have one eye. They were just into the technical aspect. Of yeah, yeah. The the having the they probably saw more out of their uh, their first eye, their pineal. They right. they didn't have a logical structure. So the the most of your prefrontal cortex is built for lying, this front part of your brain, and that's mostly our mammalian. Our social aspects are really the ones that are geared to lying. So if you think about a less social kind of giant this less social creature wouldn't have the necessary uh, uh, equipment to even lie. And this is why Cyclops were always fooled. Every Cyclops story is just like this horrible, like what an idiot. Like, and, and these Cyclops are super intelligent. They're able to make things that no one else can make, but they cannot seem to get around the fact that someone lied to them. And I think that's because the, the, the mythology, again, the Oracle mythology is telling you all, it's telling you they didn't have the prefrontal cortex. They didn't have the social brain that we have, which which causes us to lie. So therefore, they they were basically impotent because they weren't able to see through the social cues that, that we give each other. Yeah. And as you've written, yeah, most of our brain is created to deny reality, to lie mm -hmm. to ourselves, to filter true reality. But... It is what it is. And size might not be, mean anything. I mean, I love this passage where you write, if you place a bird on an island with no predator, the bird grows large. The same thing happens with a fish in a pond. As it turns out, gigantism occurs in every species, including mammals and primates. Man is sizable to his terrain. This feature is the norm, not the exception. So big things wouldn't be out of wouldn't no. be unusual if you can if they don't get killed off or hunted or exactly. whatever. <laughs> In fact, it'd be, it'd be more unusual if you did not see some sort of gigantism, because it's always has a certain. Uh, if the conditions are right, it doesn't matter what species it is, it will it will become giant if the conditions are conducive to that. And that's why you think we're getting taller and taller across the world as humans, because civilization allow us to live longer and. We're just getting taught or more meat in our diet. I don't know because I, I, I don't know if we're actually able to live longer. I, I it, right. it feels more like a statistical anomaly that we're telling each other when really we're just eugenically trying to like cut ourselves off <laughs> at six inches, no matter what, no matter what. we <laughs> <do>. <laughs> Yeah. But, and our mortality rate is starting to go down. Thanks to the elite. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, so, and you really need to look at, uh, if you can wrap your head around the idea that that someone would live for 800 years and then the next person would live for 400 years and then the next person will live for 200 years, it, you really start to see that that the humans now are very, very, very different than, than what these humans would be like before. It's just a uh, it's not even really fair to call them humans. That's why this word giant, I think, is so, so effective as something to pick. And, and of course, by the way. The Noah story is the uh, same story in Aztec culture. It's the same story in my culture. And it's not just about a flood. When the Tower of Nimrod, Nimrod's Tower, uh, Cholula, the, the largest uh, pyramidal structure ever in the world, was probably built for a flood. Most of these preservation myths that we have are, are directly talking about some sort of known cataclysmic reset that was occurring that required people to do something in order to preserve their family line. And that, that I think is just the, the deepest clue of all. It's the fact that we knew it was coming, which I think is such a profound uh, effect, I think, on, on the cosmology of how we think about all this. No, it makes perfect sense. Vince, any questions from the audience? And there you have it, you shining crazy diamonds. James never disappoints while he expands the mind and dispends normative reality constructs. So please support this Red Pill Cafeteria if you find any value in the content or to get the second part of our interview. 
It will cost you less than a buck per episode, and that's a deal of your many lifetimes. And again, join the Virtual Alexandria Academy to get your mind and your news around the topic of Gnosticism. The alternative spirituality and philosophy of the Gnostics are more critical than ever in this Philip K. Dick world and Gnostic times. And this is our time to shine like crazy diamonds. We hide priests and priestesses of Hermes, the god of thieves, and Sophia, the goddess of smugglers. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being yourself, your true self, here in the desert of the real. Hello and goodbye as always. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.